Let me start by saying this. Never before has there been a people who are in such a hurry as the people of 21st century London. Our information and our communication arrives instantly thanks to our smartphones that are in our pockets. Our eating happens instantly thanks to supermarkets, ready meals and microwaves. Our travel is getting quicker and cheaper than it ever has been before thanks to Uber and Oyster and EasyJet. Relative to 99% of human history, Londoners, Londoners no longer have to wait long for much at all. But it isn't exactly having a positive effect, is it? If we stop at a traffic light for more than one minute, we'll get flustered. If the next train is delayed, we're going to get annoyed quite quickly. If the person at the counter takes a few moments to serve us, we'll get irritated. When a web page is buffering and taking longer than we want it to, we think our world is coming to an end. And heaven help the person who's walking slower than we want to go on the pavement in front of us. It doesn't take much to recognize that this is a condition that is affecting every area of life. Our time is a very valuable commodity. Now, how often do people ask you how your week has been only for the response to be all oh, busy, busy? It's like an involuntary tick. Sometimes somebody asks me how my week has been going and I'll answer with busy before even realizing that my week hasn't been busy. Our sense of busyness is a badge of honor and we use it to provide a validation to who we are and it helps to qualify our sense of self-worth. Telling people how busy our life is somehow feels like it justifies some measure of value, especially if it's heard by a boss or by somebody who's nearby that we're hoping to get some respect from. But then it doesn't stop there, does it? We get to the weekends and we cram in our weekends with social engagements, maybe kids' parties, projects around the home, chores, city breaks, and almost certainly hours and hours. And How often do you just stop? I'm not just referring to sleep when I ask that question. How often do you make and find moments of stillness in your day that help you to tune in to and be present to your surroundings, to connect up with God? One of the verses that echoes around my mind constantly and has done for a long, long time now is Psalm 46, verse 10. It's on loop in my head often. God commands, be still and know that I am God. Today, I want to explore the question, why wait? What do I mean by waiting? So, I mean allowing moments, especially but not exclusively, within our time together on a Sunday for us to pause. Pausing allows reflection, and reflection often leads to changes in our pace and our perspective. Now, I want to acknowledge that we haven't always been very good at doing this as a church. But as one of the pastors of this church, I want to see something increasingly as we move forward where this is part of our culture as a church. It's not something that's man-made, it's something that is actually God-ordained. And it's a massive factor for what should set us apart in our, in our times together from other public gatherings. Waiting doesn't come easily to many of us. Not in the natural when things are more physical and discernible and in front of us, but certainly not spiritually, when things are not bound by time or knowledge or perhaps finite human plans. Often we want an Insta-God. We want God in, a, in a, an espresso cup, quick and immediate and on the go. We want to just get stuff from him and keep going. 
But in the rush of life, God invites us to gather here together and sometimes that's because he wants to hit the pause button on our priorities and allow us to reflect on and respond to who he is and what his will is for our lives. Be still and know that he is God. Now, regardless of where you're at in your faith as you hear this, I just want to ask you for a moment just to pause and take a few deep breaths. It feels unusual, doesn't it? So infrequent we would choose to do something like that. Now, I heard this quote the other day from the philosopher Dallas Willard, and I believe he's spot on. He says, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Now, I'll quite often refer to the fact that God invites us to bring and unpack our mess before him, bringing our broken situations, our tricky relationships, perhaps our confused mindsets to him, so that he can shine his light onto those areas of darkness. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus, because of it, it's an incredible invitation of restoration that he invites and he alone invites us to enjoy. But I don't believe that we're to blow into our gatherings together like some tornado and then to blow out in exactly the same way without that moment of pause. Cultivating moments of stillness into our rhythms of life Help us to become better aware of who God is and what he's doing. And I believe that's true for during the week, but also for our times together. I believe it's part of a prophetic shaping, actually, that God has been starting but will continue to develop within our church, which is primarily the reason why I chose the scripture from Matthew chapter 11 on our building in Southfields. Outside we have a big banner. A couple of years ago we put it up and it declares to everyone passing by, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's Jesus' Jesus's invitation. It's an invitation to a society that is living in a constant rush. Busyness is so detrimental to faith, yet it's the context in which many of us are totally surrounded by and immersed in at the moment. And so I believe that our time together is partly to fuel us for the mission that we're on as followers of Jesus together. But it is also a moment of recharge in the midst of a chaotic and cluttered culture where most people are running on empty. Now, I'm not sure what your attitude would be like as you gather with your church on a Sunday. You may have a weight of expectation or perhaps a sense of obligation you may even be hearing this today and it's the first time you've been in a church gathering before. But I want to say you're not here by accident. And I want to follow that up by saying what might it take for you to enter into a new season where you'd be willing to be interrupted by God, perhaps in a new way. Now let me turn to the Bible for a moment. I was reading this just a couple of nights ago in my time alone with God that I have most evenings. It's from Mark chapter 9, but it's also... It's uh, uh, given uh, notice to in Matthew 17 and Luke 9 as well. Jesus is with his followers, Peter, James, and John. Now they've taken some time out 
there away from anybody else. And it says that they went high up on a mountainside. So God does something in that moment that they haven't experienced before. They've already seen Jesus do miracles. He's already at work healing people. He's, he's teaching and his, his, his words are changing people's lives. So they know that he's the real deal. But aside from the hustle and bustle of the crowds, something happens. It says this. Mark 9, verse 2 to, 2 to 8. So it says that Jesus was transfigured before them, which basically means that a massive change took, took place to his physical appearance. It says his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. So Moses and Elijah were prophets for the kingdom of God. And here they're alongside Jesus, the fullness of God himself. It goes on to say, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. No kidding. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So they withdraw from surrounding life, and something very unexpected takes place. The men see in a new way the glory of God the Father shining upon God the Son. Now, I'd like to think in those moments, I would stand in awe. I would be just absolutely captivated by what I was looking at, this revelation of Jesus' divinity being shown to me in a new way. I can only imagine the kind of wonder that that would instill. Now, Peter initially recognises that situation. He says, it's good for us to be here. But then natural tendency kicks in and he suggests that they get to work building tents. So rather than standing in awe, Peter wants to distract himself with something else. He misreads the moment and underestimates what it means and what it looks like to just be still and in awe of Jesus. And it seems like a really foolish response, yet it is how most of us will treat time in God's presence. We will treat it in the same way very often. Now, interestingly, we see later on in the Bible, in places like Acts chapter 3, that Peter soon develops a pace of life and an understanding where he allows himself to be interrupted by the presence of God. He and John, in Acts chapter 3, are on their way to a temple. And rather than from rushing from A to B as quickly as they possibly can, they're stopped in their tracks by a lame beggar. And they start chatting to him. And eventually they start praying for him and it results in the man being healed from his condition there and then. Now that doesn't happen without sensing the presence of God in the moment. So there's change that happens to Peter. And I want to ask you, is his presence enough for you? Is being in God's presence going to be enough for you? I wonder what, what commitments, what habits, what, what uh, rhythms of lifestyle should you really be handing over to God? What can you be proactive at submitting or handing over to God to firstly give him more room in your life, but then secondly, just to keep you there in a place of awe a little bit longer? I'm often amazed at the kindness and, and the incredible grace of God. I'm amazed at how gracious he is at helping us to handle the stuff of life. 
And it might be something that's crept up recently within my life that he is willing to place his hands on and heal and restore or remove. And it could well be something that's deep-rooted, that, that, that's been, that I've been or you've been devoted to for a very long time, a behavioural pattern perhaps, that he now wants to graciously restore, to create space in your life simply for more of him. Because nothing changes if nothing changes. He created us. He sustains us. He saved us. And then he graciously looks on as we'll often just crowd him out with basically anything else possible. I believe that rushing or, or hurrying through life is the issue of issues today. Often a desire for a full life or the fear of missing out, that FOMO thing, has become an idol that hinders us from knowing him more personally. But in reality, all that stuff leads to is more anxiety and more stress and more restlessness. It can't be tweaked as there needs to be an overhaul in so many areas of our lives because the problem is massive and it needs to be actively resisted. Now, I'm sure some of you will be the same as me. I make all of my biggest mistakes. I make all of my worst decisions when I'm too tired and when I'm in too much of a rush. I react way, bad, way more badly. I sin much more readily when I'm bouncing from pillar to post. Not when I'm feeling calm, not when I'm feeling rested, not when I'm feeling secure in who I am, not when I have clarity in my thinking. There's a restless spirit upon many in our culture. And tech companies are making billions from it. The attention distraction economy that, that is happening around us. We're, I mean, me and you have an attention span that is a currency for many companies that they're, they're trading in it at the moment to try and hold our attention. We often find that being content with the present as being something that is actually limiting or, or perhaps restricting. We've got one job, we've got one location, one relationship. We've perhaps got one stage of life that we're in, we, even one family unit. It starts to not be enough, doesn't it? There's a sense of claustrophobia that's, that sneaks in. And that claustrophobia is never helped by the stuff that we might see on social media where we see what's happening in other people's lives and we start thinking we need that and we need to go after that and we need to go after this. I believe that's one reason for why God commands us to enjoy a Sabbath. He knew that we would need it. It's not just a nice idea. He knew that it would be absolutely necessary for every single generation in history to step back to rest, to worshipfully pause and take stock of what we've been given in, what we've been given in life and, and to delight in it and to do that at the very least once a week or for one day a week. Now let me just spend a little moment unpacking Sabbath because it's not something that we talk about very much. Because honouring God with Sabbath rest is meant to fuel a sense of stillness. It's meant to allow us to wait on God better now, when God formed creation, he didn't do it in a hurry. I don't believe that he was frantically scurrying around, trying to make stuff happen, working to a deadline. He certainly wasn't trying to get anybody's approval as he was creating. He didn't get to the end of his tasks and flop out in a breathless heap at the end of all his activity. 
Now, in a couple of months, we're going to be journeying through a new series looking at the, the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. So I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking it. We'll be getting to that in a couple of months' time. But I believe that God created all things. Light, dark, sea, land, the humpback whale, the hummingbird, humankind. And I don't believe that he got to the end of it out of breath. He chose to rest as an almighty demonstration to me and you that it's of vital importance that we slow down, that we stop, that we be still, that we take stock, that we breathe deep. The Bible says in Genesis 2 verse 3 that within the rest, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And he calls his people to honour that day as well. We might refer to Sabbath, it it means to cease, it means to stop. Now in the Jewish or Hebrew uh, cycle of living, that holy 24-hour day of rest came at the start of the week and it went from evening to evening. So Sabbath began with sleep. It reflected the need for us to experience fullness of life from a place of rest. Now, it's important to say that one way that we can enter into and enjoy the peace and the stillness of God together is by honouring him with our Sabbath rest. Having poor sleep patterns or poor rest patterns, either because you rest way too much or because you rest way too little, can hinder the way we enjoy the presence of God. I know that to be painfully true. I've got a seven-month-old son living in my house right now, so I've had seven months of very, very broken sleep, maybe four or five hours of very broken sleep for over half a year now. So I know full well that poor rest doesn't easily cultivate joy and contentment. But building in that specific moment or day each week helps me and you to delight in the things that by his grace he has given to us to enjoy in our surroundings and just in who he is himself. Your Sabbath is not a day of total inactivity, it's a day of refueling. A day of spending time delighting in the things that recharge your soul rather than what drains it. So perhaps you you enjoy eating or or preparing food for people. You might enjoy reading or playing or, or listening to music, watching or playing sport, gardening, crafts, painting, spending time in creation, either walking or jogging or cycling and extended times just alone in prayer and receiving from God's word, feeding yourself from what he said. Cultivate those specific moments that breed joy and contentment and a sense of perspective on how good God is and how good he's been to you. So just to get really practical for a second, let me share a few ways that I have been trying to live by, some some helpful rhythms or practices that I've found have been helpful at nurturing Sabbath rest. So these have spilt over into other days of the week, but they do allow me to find a sense of stillness and allow me to wait on God better than I used to. So disclaimer before I say any of these things, I miss the mark on these so often. Okay, I really do, but I found them to be helpful principles. Now I find that staying off technology one day a week has been really helpful. And for a long time now, I'd say at least three days a week, if not more, I don't watch any TV in the evenings. 
it just instantly declutters my mind. It allows me to think things through. It allows me to spend more time in prayer. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I've stopped using social media as well. I've changed the settings on my phone so that it shuts down between 10.30 in the evening and doesn't wake up again until 7 a.m. the next morning. I don't have notifications or any emails on my phone whatsoever. So that it's not constantly, I'm not reacting to that chiming in my pocket hundreds of times every day. Do you know, estimates say at the moment that 94% of adults in the United Kingdom own a smartphone. And that on average, that phone is used for three hours a day. I would say probably for my generation, it's a lot more than three hours a day. But on average, three hours a day on, that, on our phones. So I'll, ne I'll never use my phone when I'm at the gym, for example. I'll never use it when I'm traveling uh, on the train. Just two examples. I want to use those moments to pray or at the very least be switched on to my surroundings and, and just have time to think and to be still. Do you know, I've genuinely tried to start walking and driving more slowly. Rather than trying to get from A to B as quickly as I possibly can, and that's had a real obvious impact on my pace of life as well. Another one, for, for a long time now, I've, I've tried to, to make space within my calendar. So I find that people in London in particular, they will get booked up for like 75% of their time. And then eventually the remaining 25% of the time gets stuffed in with last minute things as well. Now my calendar is not normally booked out more than 40 or 50% of the time. So that even in a, during a busy period, it never goes beyond the 75%. There's always that space, there's always that, that time to just be still and know that he is God, rather than trying to rush around and see everyone and get everywhere that I possibly can. Saying yes and no to stuff. Saying yes and no to the right things and being wise with the right people and the, right, the, the, the correct priorities is so key to building in that breathing space. Now, I'm part of a leadership team of a church that's well over a 1,000 people in London. So that's a lifestyle rhythm that I've had to really fight for over the years. I've had to be deliberate with it. Because honouring God with your Sabbath rest is not a legal requirement for God's people. Je Jesus came to fulfil that law from the Old Testament. But isn't it interesting that if we look at the Old Testament, if we look at the Ten Commandments, we'd probably all agree that stealing... Adultery, murder, honouring our parents are all still really valid things to live by. Yet we'd, be we'd, we'd pretty much all be willing to regularly ignore the command of keeping a Sabbath. That deliberate moment in the week or that, that day in the week when we pause and honour God as Lord of our thoughts, bodies, emotions, diaries, all of it. I get that there are distinctions that shape that. We might have health issues or a capacity stage of life, small children at home, all those kind of things, but you and I desperately need it. If your heavenly father commanded it, and if Jesus, his son, demonstrated it, then you and I can be sure that we need it. We were created to live like Jesus. All of us, you and, you and I were created to live like Jesus and there's a pace to Jesus. He wasn't in a rush. We saw it in, in Mark 9 and we see a glimpse of it in Luke chapter 5 as well. Oh, so word about Jesus has been spreading. Evidence of the kingdom of God has been demonstrated through people being healed, people being set, set free from his, by his teaching, 
And understandably, crowds are starting to develop around Jesus. You can be sure that busyness was creeping up on him as people started trying to make um, demands on his time and demands on his attention. Now, did he speak to his heavenly father and ask for another hour in the day? No. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Again and again in the Gospels, he deliberately allows a margin in his life to just wait and enjoy his Father's presence. That's huge. We'll quite often talk about the words of Jesus. We'll maybe talk about the miracles of Jesus. How often do we consider the pace of Jesus? Let me wrap up with one final question before I hand back over. What areas of space can the Holy Spirit help you develop to ensure your relationship with God is given the space to flourish? Could it be in your social life? Could it be something within your to-do list, which is ever so important for many of us? Maybe even in your standard of living. Have you set the bar so high that it's really difficult to stay um, in that kind of achievable space with your standard of living? Helping you to, what stuff can he take out from those things to help you arrive in the gathering with God's people without that sense of rush swirling around behind you? I believe that God wants to make it the hallmark of what it means to be a part of his people. A people who are not easily rushed, not easily distracted, not easily anxious. Do you know, we are all heavy burdened without the peace and without the rest that only Jesus can provide. He, one of the effects of him going to the cross and rising again three days later victoriously was that we would know peace and that he could be the one who holds our anxious thoughts captive. And we're surrounded by a culture that urgently needs to experience that for themselves as well. We retreat for the world. We don't retreat from it. I believe that God is wanting his disciples to be unhurried, to be unrushed, but very alert to who is around them and what he is orchestrating in their lives. He wants to bring the kingdom into our lives in the foreground and sometimes we just need to be still and know that he is in charge because he knows what he's doing. I'm going to move out of your way because I want you to have some time just to reflect on this and to speak to God for yourself. So let me close by praying. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I want you to have access to every, every element of who I am. My emotions, my activity, the stuff that I'm giving myself wholeheartedly to, the stuff that you're going to start in my life that you haven't even made me aware of yet. I, w I want you to be in control of all of it because within the midst of that, I find peace. I find wholeness. I find rest. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as you take my words from the last 25 or 30 minutes and you, you, you allow them to land in people's hearts in the right way, I want to pray, God, that you would bring a sense of peace and a sense of awe and that we would stop our busyness and that we would just be still and know that you are God. I worship you, Lord. 
I thank you, God, that I can know stillness and rest and that within that, gratitude comes and perspective is shaped. I pray for that to be true in an ever-increasing measure for anyone hearing this sermon right now and I ask for it in the name of Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.